is now six o'clock. Welcome to WORT's local news for Tuesday, October 3rd. I'm your host, Sarah Hopeful. And I'm your host, Christian Knutson. In tonight's news, Madison Mayor Sacha Rhodes-Conway announces her 2024 operating budget proposal. Officials warn Wisconsinites about an emergency cell phone alert test tomorrow. UW-Madison student journalists talk about racial equity on campus. And rats get their moment in the spotlight. All these stories and more on tonight's news. This is Christian Knutson and Sarah Hopeful with your local news, coming to you live from the WORT studios in beautiful downtown Madison. Here are tonight's headlines. Yesterday, a bipartisan group of state legislators circulated a bill proposal that would ban non-consensual, sexually explicit deep fakes. That refers to any synthetic, intimate representation of a person using artificial intelligence. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports that the authors are currently seeking co-sponsors for the bill. Several other states, including Minnesota, have already passed legislation banning deepfake pornography. Most of the deepfakes found online fall into that category, according to studies from cybersecurity companies DeepTrace and Sensity AI. The majority of those pornographic deepfakes target women. Right now, it is a felony in Wisconsin to capture or distribute nude images of a person without their consent. Under this proposed bill, anyone who posts, publishes, distributes, or exhibits a pornographic deepfake of a person without their consent could face felony charges and up to three and a half years in prison. A similar proposal did not make it to committee last year. State Representative Katrina Shankland, a Democrat from Stevens Point, is now the fourth Democratic candidate looking to challenge U.S. Representative Derek Van Orden, a Republican from Prairie du Chien, for Wisconsin's third congressional district seat in 2024. She's running on a platform of affordable health care in rural areas, job creation, community paramedic programs, and water quality for Wisconsin farmers. Shanklin says that Van Orden is an extremist, quote, ignoring the needs of working people because they are too focused on causing dysfunction, unquote. Van Orden narrowly defeated his Democratic opponent in 2022, putting the district under Republican control for the first time in decades. The district covers parts of central, southwestern, and western Wisconsin. Other Democratic candidates in the 2024 race include former La Crosse County Board Chair Tara Johnson, small business owner Rebecca Cook, and law school student Aaron Knights. Sponsors of the 2024 Republican National Convention in Milwaukee will see a number of perks. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports that sponsorships range from $100,000 to $5 million. That money is spent on various events during the convention, like a welcome party and a concert with a, quote, top-tier recording artist. Megadonors will receive special access to these events and area hotels. They can also attend a dinner with Republican leadership and advertise their companies at Fiserv Forum. The RNC host committee will need to raise about $70 million, with their costs ranging anywhere from $89 million to $154 million. It could bring as much as $225 million into the local economy. The Wisconsin State Journal reports Vice President Kamala Harris has canceled a visit to UW-Madison this week. Instead, she will be in her home state of California, attending funeral services for Senator Dianne Feinstein, who passed away last week at the age of 90. A White House official has said that the vice president's visit will be rescheduled, but did not name any specific dates. This was set to be the fourth Wisconsin visit from the Bidens or Harris in recent months. The last was by First Lady Jill Biden when she toured Exact Sciences and the Verona Area School District in August. In February, President Joe Biden stopped by a deforest factory. At the time, he promoted his investments in the economy and in infrastructure. 
Yesterday, Dane County Executive Joe Parisi announced his $937 million county budget proposal. According to the Wisconsin State Journal, Parisi is looking to preserve a post-pandemic safety net while investing in a number of infrastructure projects. Nearly $787 million of this budget proposal will fund operations, with another $150 million going toward capital projects. Some notable expenses include $320,000 for a body camera pilot program. Each camera costs $10,000, so county law enforcement would be able to, to deploy 32 of them to gauge their effectiveness. Additionally, Parisi is looking to invest $21.5 million into a new giraffe barn at Bylas Zoo. This follows a series of upgrades at the facility as it will be renewing its accreditation with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums next year. The budget proposal also requests $36.4 million for a new 911 dispatch center at the county's campus off Highway AB. Another $17 million would go to county trails, building bridges, and connecting existing pathways. The Dane County Board will review Parisi's proposal in the coming weeks and can offer amendments when they see fit. Some Madison residents noticed that as many as 70 trees along Mineral Point Road were recently marked for cutting. They've expressed concerns that the city might cut down as many as 70 trees along Mineral Point Road as part of bus rapid transit construction. But Metro Transit says those trees were prematurely marked for a preliminary design to shift the street's bike lane. Metro Transit also says final design plans will be shared at a public meeting later in the fall. According to the Wisconsin State Journal, the city expects tree loss to be cut in half in the final design plan. And those were your local news headlines. We turn now to two special guests in the studio, Sholly Pittman and Jennifer Fields, who want to tell you a little something about WORT's Fall Pledge Drive. Did you hear that, Sholly? We are special. Oh, I didn't even hear that. Thanks, Sarah and Christian. Hey, yes, we're here during the WORT Local News Hour asking for your support during the fall fundraiser. And hey, I don't know if you've noticed yet, Jennifer, but it's budget season. (gasps) It is budget season. I love budget season. There's all sorts of fun stuff in budgets. And you know what? Our goal is to make you interested in budgets. And uh, hopefully if we've done our job in the next couple of weeks, we will have done that. But um, speaking of budgets... Uh, we need you to help us make our budget, right? You know who helped us make our budget? Make our budget? Oh, who? Jim. Jim. Jim said his first name only, so thank you, Jim. Jim, thank you so much, Jim. From where? Jim from McFarland. Ooh, Jim McFarland, exotic. We love it. Thank you so much for donating, Jim. And oh, 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 Jim is a new monthly donor. I won't say how much, but Jim, you rock. Thank you so much for donating to WORT. And oh, Jim, uh, so Jim picked up a Progressive Magazine subscription. Nice job, Jim. That can be yours at a pledge level of $45. So you can do that or is there a monthly? I'm sure it translates into some kind of monthly donor One year, six months, five months, blah, 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 doesn't tell you, but it says... It's, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the $45 level, you can um, get a one-year subscription to the Progressive Magazine. Of course, put out be, by the uh, the Norm Stockwell and, and others at the Progressive Magazine. But I, I, I'm getting away from the point here. I'm bearing the lead, so to speak. Jim says, as a comment, 
Kudos to the news department, Shali et al. Aww, Isn't that beautiful? Jim. See, we thought we were special, but it's Jim. Jim is Jim is like truly coming through. Thank you so much, Jim, for donating, becoming a monthly donor to WORT for supporting this show for local news on WORT. I saw a comment from someone earlier today who pledged to a music show, donated to a music show, but said, I love the WORT local news podcast so much. I listen every day. Now they gave to a music show. Okay, that's all right. We have eclectic tastes here at WORT, and there's so much to 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 um, you know embrace. I was thinking more like put in your head and enjoy and take pleasure from um, on WORT. Sometimes I describe WORT as like, oh, there's another diamond that just happened. Uh, That's a gem of a moment, and I know it might not like end up online or on social media, but I'm listening. I'm like, wow, that was magical. You know, we got a person and playing the ukulele, thanking uh, donors or or doing something wonderfully creative and beautiful. But that's what happens when it's your community. Yeah. Because A, you know where to look for the gems and you know they're going to happen and you trust that your community is going to always come through. And that's what what it is. For years, what you say, almost 50 years now, community has come through for war and we're we're hoping and Mm. we're asking four or five people to help up Help us extend that. And by dialing 256, I'm sorry, 608-256-2001 or going to wardfm.org. Because it is that. It's when you live in community, you report on community, you work in community, and you hang out. You notice things on a whole different level. Mm. You, you're you able to get in it. You're able to see the thingness of things. You're able to see patterns. You're able to understand flow. You're able to see that thing that... Maybe you pass by every day and yeah. it pops out, or maybe because you pass by it every day and suddenly there's that rose in that bush, and you're like, "What?" And you also get a ton of news tips, which oh, I really crazy. appreciate, yeah. which helps you appreciate the full story. So, uh, shout out to folks who give us news tips, and shout out to Jim. We want to thank Jim, Jim um, this hour for donating to the WRT local news. Jim became a monthly donor, and we need the same from you. Six zero eight two five six two thousand and one, the number to call to sign up, or Head online to wortfm.org. Now back to Christian and Sarah with tonight's news. One month after releasing her 2024 capital budget proposal for Madison, Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway today proposed the city's 2024 operating budget. This proposal seeks to balance Madison's looming financial crisis with the city's growing population. WRT news producer Faye Parks attended today's press conference at Madison's Central Public Library. Madison's revenue has not been able to cover city services, and the growing population is only making the structural deficit more dire. In 2011, there were 10% more employees on the city's payroll per 1,000 residents. Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway says that the Republican-held state legislature is responsible for Madison's lack of funds funds that Madison needs to hire more employees and keep up with the city's growth. Madison does not receive its fair share of state funding and cannot access revenue streams that are commonly available to cities in other states because of restrictions from the state legislature. These restrictions include the inability to implement a local sales or income tax and the inability to increase property taxes as needed. Madison's primary revenue stream comes from property taxes, as the legislature consistently excludes Wisconsin's capital from revenue sharing. The city's finance department projects that by 2029, operating services will cost $75 million more than the maximum revenues allowed under state law. According to Mayor Rhodes-Conway, 
if annual state aid had simply kept pace with inflation from 2000 levels, Madison's share would be $9 million higher than it is today. Jason Stein is the research director at the Wisconsin Policy Forum, a nonprofit that conducts nonpartisan policy research, including several reports on Madison's looming fiscal cliff. Stein says that Madison will likely feel the effects of the structural deficit earlier than 2029, perhaps as soon as next year. But he says that there are a number of ways that the city can cover its budgetary shortfalls. In the short term, it can use one-time money, which is something that it's doing right now. I mean, the mayor's proposal would draw down city reserves by $9.2 million. The city can raise fees. So we have a $40 vehicle registration fee. The city could increase that and certainly raise, you know, some money that way. The city could raise a number of other fees that are out there. You know, there's like an urban forestry fee and there's some fees like that that the city could raise. In other words, much of the burden would fall on Madison residents before serious budgetary cuts become necessary. For now, Mayor Rhodes-Conway insists that the city will continue to serve its residents as usual. Her proposed operating budget for 2024 asks for a record $404.8 million. To account for the deficit, Mayor Rhodes-Conway is proposing a 1% budget reduction across all city agencies. That's projected to save about $3 million next year. The proposal also looks to increase savings by assuming a higher personnel vacancy rate. Agencies may have to delay hiring slightly, but this could save the city more than $2 million. Madison also gets a significant amount of financial support from the federal government. However, 2024 is the last year the city will receive COVID relief funding. The mayor plans to use nearly $17 million of those expiring federal funds to balance next year's budget. The proposal also allocates money to a number of programs, including $3.2 million to improve the city's elections infrastructure. With the 2024 presidential election on the horizon, that money would be used to set up more polling places with necessary materials and staff. The mayor has also budgeted for a new civilian EMS coordinator. That comes as Madison's non-law enforcement emergency response program, CARES, continues to grow. Related to that, the mayor is seeking a $100,000 contract with a third-party van company that would help transport people in need to a mental health treatment facility. Previously, these folks had been transported in squad cars, which is not good for them, and it unnecessarily takes patrol off of our streets where they belong. Perhaps most ambitious of all, the mayor is proposing a 6% pay increase for general municipal employees, as state law does not allow them to unionize. Her reasoning is twofold. She says that city workers are feeling the effects of inflation, and local government agencies are struggling to hire people on a competitive basis. And they aren't the only city workers to receive a raise. Mayor Rhodes-Conway's salary is increasing $5,260. Her budget proposal specifies that this is in accordance with city ordinances. Also of note, the mayor is proposing a 5% cost of living adjustment to community organizations that work in housing stability and youth development efforts, among others. The executive budget proposal is slated to be introduced at tonight's council meeting and referred to the city's finance committee later this month. The council is slated to finalize the operating and capital budgets, along with amendments from alders, in a week of meetings in mid-November starting on Tuesday the 14th. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Faye Parks. Tomorrow afternoon, Americans will see and hear an emergency alert if they have their cell phones turned on. 
Federal officials say it's only a test, but it is an important one. A Wisconsin emergency management leader advises on what to expect and why people should take these efforts seriously. Mike Moen of Wisconsin News Connection has this report. Cell phones around Wisconsin and the rest of the country will be buzzing this Wednesday afternoon for a test of the federal emergency alert system and wireless emergency alerts. FEMA says it's the seventh nationwide EAS test, but only the third time for the WEA portion. In addition to texts, messages also will be broadcast over radio and TV stations. Jared Tessman, the emergency management coordinator in Monroe County, says the alert rollout will begin at 1.20 p.m. Central Time on October 4th, indicating it's only a test and that no action is required. The purpose is to get people thinking about what would happen in a national emergency, but there's local significance, too. We can send the same tests out at a local level to uh, notify people of evacuations that are necessary due to various types of disasters, hazardous materials, incidents. When these tests are conducted, he says it's important for people to have their phones on so they can confirm their device can receive such a message in a real emergency. Depending on the phone setting, the text will display in either English or in Spanish. In areas with limited access to consistent cell phone service or for those who lack devices or working radios and TVs, Tessman says emergency management departments try to keep those populations in mind when planning for these situations. There's still uh, ways to uh, get that message out, and the way to get that message out is normally going to be first responder, whether it be law enforcement, fire, EMS, that will go door to door if there is a real world event. Meanwhile, some people try to keep their phones silent or out of their bedrooms at night to avoid sleep disruptions, but Tespin advises you to at least keep it within earshot in case of an emergency. He says it's beneficial to have multiple ways to reach people, especially in a weather event when dangerous conditions can develop very quickly. This is Mike Moen for Wisconsin News Connection. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. It's 6.23 p.m. and you're listening to the live local news on WORT. We turn back to Jennifer and Sholly in the studio who have some updates for the WORT Fall Pledge Drive. My name is Jennifer Fields and I'm here with Shally Pittman. And I'm wondering, when did people just stop ye- stop yelling out the windows when stuff was going on? Well, I was thinking like carrier pigeon and when he was like, have multiple ways to contact people. I was like, oh, what are the, what's the maximum number of ways to contact people? This is something we teach our reporters. How do you get in contact with the source quickly? You have to be persistent. You want to call them, you want to email them, you want to text them just to make, not to harass them, just to make sure that they get your message, you know, and then they can say no and that, that's fine. Um, but yeah, carrier pigeon is one we haven't tried. I want a bat, like a Jennifer signal, like a big yeah. G in the sky when I'm supposed to be somewhere. Yeah, I won't look, but at least I could say, hey, yeah. you know what it is? It's like I want to be invited, but I might not show up. That's the way I'm living my life right now. But we want you to show up. We want We're inviting for- <laughs> you. We are throwing up the bat signal to you That's during right. our fall pledge drive because uh, we need your help. We need your help to continue to keep uh, the news going. We need your help keeping the whole radio station going. We need your help uh, keeping WORT around. And that's why we come to you quarterly. Yep, and I really like Jim's plan. I think I'm just going to take Jim's plan and just do a monthly. Yeah. And dust my hands of it and just let it go and forget about it. Yeah. Set it and forget it. Yes. Yes. Well, you already set it and forget it. 89.9 FM. If you're listening terrestrially, speaking of terrestrially, uh, not, not earth but uh, terrestrial radio <laughs> so you know we just listened to a show about e, uh, emergency alert systems EAS as we call it in the biz and I've been hearing about this test for the last like 
four months. Um, it's been going and going. It almost got rescheduled because of the shutdown, but now it's happening again. Um, anyway, so this is a, a aspect of broadcasting that people don't really think about, right? We come out over the WORT airwaves, and those are public airwaves. And we are part of the emergency response network, right? And so TikTok isn't that. Streaming isn't that. Uh, cable, not really that. That's a unique feature of radio and broadcasters going out over the public airwaves. That's what makes us really cool. That's why I like radio, right? So when there is a natural disaster, we're there uh, most of the time. And, <laughs> uh, and, you know, we also probably likely have uh, reporters on the ground. We have news tips from the community about what's happening when, you know, when there were those floods, Right. We had reporters on the ground, on the wet ground uh, reporting. Right. We are a part part of part of being a community is responding to disasters together, to uh, things that are so wild that it takes you a while to process them. We went through a whole pandemic together. You listened to us during a pandemic. We were here. We kept it running. Right. We distributed information and news. That's a really important part of a community radio station. And so just to bring it home, um, one of the one of the things that we use your money for is keeping that those engineering updates uh, up to date. So one thing we've done recently in the past few years is actually make sure that if the Internet goes out, if the power goes out, you are still able to listen to WORT. And we do this with something called an STL, Jennifer. I got really nerdy about this. I was really passionate about it. Tom, our IT director, got really sick of me talking about this and bothering well, him about it. you said the ST it. part, I kind of got excited. And then you said the L, and I was like, I don't know that disease. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no STDs were involved in the making of this segment. Well, then um, I'm not interested. Oh, well, okay, okay, maybe. Uh, but no, an STL is really cool. It's like a... T- Dave in the studio here can describe it better, actually, but it's basically a radio frequency microwave connection to our transmitter. He's shaking his head. Something like that. uh, That's keeping us attached, basically, so that we continue to broadcast after uh, if the Wi-Fi or the Internet go out. That's really important to continue broadcasting. We know that uh, we never want to have dead air. Our goal is to eradicate dead air on WORT, and we're trying to do a good job of that. And uh, we need your help in, in improving the situation here at WRT and making sure we're here for you always at and, any time. And one of the things I think is big is that when you listen to WORT, you're going to get the news. You're going to get the information. You're not going to be prompted how to feel about it. That is up to you. Yeah, we might sometimes give opinions on some of our shows. Uh, it's one not thing on to give an opinion, show. though, but to tell somebody how they should feel, yeah, whether they should be outrated, it's irate, it's a whole different thing. Whoa! Never, okay, we got to wrap this up, but we need you to be our next donor. Be like Jim. Thank you so much again, Jim. 608-256-2001 or donate online at wrtfm.org. Make sure WRT's around for decades and decades to come. Time is now 6.32 and you're listening to the local news on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm Sarah Hopeful here with Christian Knutson. Thanks for joining us. Every Tuesday, we check in with the editorial staff over at the Daily Cardinal, one of UW Madison's student newspapers, to get the latest news from campus. We call it the Cardinal Call. 
This week, co-producer Gavin Escott dives into the campus's affirmative action policies and what student groups are demanding in response in the wake of a recent U.S. Supreme Court decision. Just hearing some of these stories, it just, it was very eye-opening, and I, I wish more white students were there to listen to the concerns that were brought up. Hello, and welcome to The Cardinal Call, your weekly dose of news coming out of the UW-Madison campus from the Daily Cardinal Student Newspaper. I'm your co-host, Gavin Escott. And I'm your co-host, Hewan Lim. After a U.S. Supreme Court decision in June found race-conscious admissions programs unconstitutional, the future of affirmative action programs at universities across the country was thrown into doubt. At the time, UW-Madison said it would remove race as a factor in admissions to comply with the law, though it stressed that diversity remained a bedrock value and the university was committed to creating a diverse community. And this is all pretty important, particularly for a predominantly white campus and city like the UW in Madison, where just over 2% of enrolled students are black and almost 65% of the campus is white. Many students of color report feeling unsafe and not valued, as backed up by numerous campus climate surveys and our own reporting. These issues were brought again to the forefront last May, when a leaked video of a white student hurling racial slurs shook campus and sparked days of protests. It was out of this controversy that a student group, the Black Power Coalition, rose to prominence. Today, we're joined by our senior staff writer, Anna Kleiber, and arts editor, Gabriella Hartlob, to discuss an update in forum the Black Power Coalition held. Anna, Gabby, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. So happy to be here. Last week, the Black Power Coalition released their first update of the fall semester. That includes some of the points they'll be pressing university leadership on. What were some of those main points? The big one that stuck out to me was their ideas on affirmative action and I guess where that would go on our campus. I think it was really important for them to mention these programs that are in place right now and the benefits of keeping them and how important they are to our students of color. Related to that, uh, scholarships is a big issue that the Black Power Coalition mentioned. And in our first article, we mentioned that UW would be keeping DEI scholarships. But then we were told by the university that wasn't the case, that we framed it the wrong way. But when we read the university's update that they passed out at the Black Power Coalition Town Hall, it seemed like they were. And so that was an issue that was on the minds of a lot of people there, since there were a lot of black students and students of color who do come here on scholarships. And so So a lot of them are worried that due to this ruling, their scholarships will get taken away and their ability to continue coming here. Did the Black Power Coalition release any goals that they have for the semester or other initiatives that they're planning to launch? One thing they did talk about was securing funding for a separate campus space for Black students. So there is the Black Cultural Center, but they talked about a strong want to have something outside of that. Another building on campus sponsored by alumni and donations, where it would be a space that is just for Black students and one that is not like the BCC held in the Multicultural Student Center in the Red Gym. They also talked about this new idea of cipher groups. When they put this in the statement, we weren't quite sure what that meant. But upon going to the meeting, they did explain it a little more. So it sounds to us like a cipher group is going to be like a task force that people can join and work on like the set goals and initiatives as they are available to. So you can do as much or as little as you want. And some of these cipher groups included, you know, like a social media team or Gabby said, like ways to secure funding 
running and stuff like that and just like little groups to brainstorm and better run the coalition. So the Black Power Coalition released their update last Monday. We did our article on Tuesday and the university responded to us. And you mentioned that the university had some kind of caveats about our reporting. Can you explain what those were? Yeah, so we asked the university for comment on Monday when the update was originally put out. And then I followed up with them again on Tuesday morning saying that we would be publishing the article and asking again for a comment from them. We did not receive any comment from them before the article published. But a couple hours after it published, I did receive an email from the university saying that they were upset with the framing of our article. They felt like we put it forward as the Black Power Coalition was speaking for them and they They were saying that we framed it as promises were being made that were not made by the university and that that was factually incorrect. That was something that was difficult to include in our writing because when Anna and I went to the Black Power Coalition meeting, we were handed an update from the university that looked a lot like what the Black Power Coalition had originally said. So there's a lot of confusing signals coming from the university throughout this piece. Yeah, that and it just felt like they were looking for ways to nitpick how we phrased it. We didn't put out inaccurate information. It was just it was almost like you didn't say it the exact way we would have said it. And for that, we're going to be upset about it. So that was really hard, especially when we reached out for a comment and they didn't get back to us and waited until after we published to be like, you did this wrong. It's like, okay, we only we only asked for your input. We wanted it to be right the first time. So that was really frustrating on our end. But thankfully, we were able to clear up any little discrepancies. Obviously, the university is is kind of walking a tight line right now. DEI, they're being pressured by the Republican legislator to cut it or else they'll lose their funding. And you have a student paper releasing stuff that says that they're not going to cut it. One of their criticisms, it seemed, of our reporting was that, Gabby, you said this, we were kind of reporting what the Black Power Coalition said as fact instead of their understanding. And the Black Power Coalition talked to the university numerous times over the summer, in the past couple weeks. Was there anything wrong with our reporting, though? I don't think that there was anything wrong with our reporting. If it seemed biased or it seemed like it was framing it towards one side, that's because we didn't hear from the other side. Like I said before, I personally reached out to the university multiple times and we really wanted a comment from them because A, we had some clarifying questions for them that we wanted to update and we just didn't end up getting that. And we didn't receive comment and clarifications from the Black Power Coalition either. We also tried to reach out to them and what we were going off of was the statement that they put out. We didn't even get any further communication from them, even though we reached out to try and get comment from them as well. So I think the article that was put out, we were just dealing with the baseline facts that we had. And those were the facts. We said what the Black Power Coalition said, and we said that the university didn't give us comment. And those are the facts. You talked about how the university provided an update to you when you attended the forum on Friday that the Black Power Coalition held. And it seems like this forum was a place where students spoke about concerns that they had. What were some of these concerns? As a white student in the room, it was very eye-opening to hear. I could only imagine, you know, how our students of color felt after that video circulated in the spring. But being in that room, it was crazy to hear like the firsthand experiences in the aftermath of that. Not only that, but also experiences completely separate. I know a couple students talked about their time as black RAs and the stuff they've had to put up in that role and to keep their role. You know, they can't speak out. They can't retaliate because if they don't walk that fine line, they could lose their housing because our RAs are 
our house fellows, they have free housing to do that job. So just hearing some of these stories, it just, it was very eye-opening. And I, I wish more white students were there to listen to the concerns that were brought up. As a black student, I have to say that what was said there was things that I had heard before, some of which I had experienced at UW, but I really do feel like it was a safe space and I felt almost privileged to be able to be there with people because it really was like a space where people could share their experiences without being judged, without being put at fault. And this isn't in the article, but I did actually end up sharing a couple of my experiences that I've had on campus and kept that out of the article because obviously journalistic integrity. But something that's been really interesting for me throughout this piece is walking that line of I am somebody who understands these issues on a personal level because some of them have happened to me. And how do I communicate that to other students through the Cardinal without putting my personal feelings and emotions into it? Because this really is an emotional issue for me. Hearing other people share their stories about how there's not a lot of representation of Black professors, professors calling them the wrong names, feeling scared being RAs in housing and all the other stories that we outlined in the article. That is emotional work to have to do and have to report on. And I'm grateful to do it. But at the same time, it's just always walking the line of how am I going to present this in a way that is completely factual so that people understand. I remember last year at the ASM forum after the video leaked, a lot of students said that after they reported racist incidents, the university administration didn't respond. And over the summer, the university announced they were creating an ad hoc committee to improve the black experience on campus. And in the release last week, the Black Power Coalition talked about that. How did the Black Power Coalition feel about the ad hoc committee? Did they have high hopes for it? From what we were able to see in the comments they gave, it didn't really have high hopes for it. I think in their original statement, they talked about how they hoped that it would be a coalition for action and not just words. And from that, I took that they felt like it was just going to be another forgotten promise by the university. Now, they do have, I think, one or two actual members from the Black Power Coalition on that committee. And if I was able to reach them for comment, I would be interested to know how they feel having those members on the committee. But from what they already put out, it seemed like they weren't very invested in where it was going to go. Anna, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, Gavin. Anytime. That's all for our Cardinal Call this week. We'll catch you back here soon. Check out more news and stories at dailycardinal.com. This has been the Cardinal Call, created by student journalists at UW-Madison. going to check in now with Charlie and Jennifer to hear the news from the Pledge Drive. Thanks so much, Sarah. Hey, folks, we need you to be one of the four people who give to the WORT local news. We have one down. Thank you again to Jim. Be like Jim and become a monthly donor or give a one-time gift to WORT during our fall fundraiser. Hi, my name is Shelly Pittman. I'm in the studio with Jennifer Fields. You know what? I just thought of something. You yeah. can get one of those bracelets, one of those W. Jade, what would Jesus do? But it could be for Jim. What would Jim do? <laughs> what would Jim do? <laughs> Jim would call. Jim did call. Jim, Jim did indeed Jim call. call. Jim called up Adrian and was like, here you go. Here you go. Here's some I'm gas. doing it. I'm doing it monthly. Do they still make those bracelets? 
I don't know, but I kind of want now one for Jim. <laughs> what would Wart do? What would Wart do? Wart would call Jim and thank him. Yeah. We, well, we're calling Jim. him out over the air. Thank you, Jim. And you know, and I think about the 50 years. We're coming up on 50 years of Wart, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. This is where I got my start. Really? Yeah. I started, I, I was, when I was in a million years ago when dinosaurs ruled the yeah, earth. Yeah, but you're like a radio veteran, right? I'm a veteran. I've been doing this for decades. <laughs> <laughs> award-winning journalist for decades. You used it's, to have to like cut tape, right? It's, I still cut tape. I used to cut tape on a reel-to-reel, and if you flipped the the, it would be. <laughs> 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 and then you cry. There was no laughing back then. Very <laughs> mini disc. Oh, the number. I'm sorry. 608-256-2001 or awardfm.org online. Hit that orange button. Do whatever it tells you to do. You'll be happy. But yeah. Mini disc. I love mini disc. Mini disc, flo- not floppies. That's really crazy. But uh, yeah, reel to reels. Yeah. Reel to. I bought a reel to reel actually to have it home so I could edit faster at work. Oh no. That's how crazy I am. You know, we're digitizing. We have a digitizing project that we're digitizing our reel to reels and our cassettes and stuff. It's really cool. That's a material we culture just, segment. Um, yeah. Who does that? I wonder who that person is. We'll just tune into Thursday nights every other Thursday. We just had uh, someone in here, a student in here uh, this uh, tonight who was interested in doing it. And she's studying library science and she wants to be a part of it. It's really cool, Jennifer. We're doing so many cool things. And there's so many cool people. And that's the beauty of being a volunteer station. That's the beauty of being a communi- community station because you can literally walk by. You can't walk by W. You can't walk by no, WPR. We, we don't need to compare. We don't need to compare. Yeah, we do. But, well, yes, you, no. There's something we, to being human and having a footprint where people can see you in the community. Well, everyone's got a role to play. But WRT's role is to serve our community. Right. And our community is pretty vast and we're asking for you to be a part of it. So to wrap this up, we need you to call 608-256-2001, if I can get that out, or online at wortfm.org. And truly, like, these are this is news about our neighbors. This is news yeah. about your friends. This is news about people we care about. The little building on the corner. All yeah. this news. The little building that could, that needs improvement and your help to do that. All right. Now back to the news. On tonight's edition of Wildlife Weekly, Jackie Sandberg takes a close look at rats. Love them or hate them, there are ethical ways to handle them. Welcome to Wildlife Weekly. My name is Jackie Sandberg, and I'm the Wildlife Program Manager for the Dane County Humane Society here in Madison, Wisconsin. Each week, we choose a topic related to wildlife rehabilitation or the environment, And today I want to talk about the Norway rat. It is not a native species to Wisconsin. However, it is present in Wisconsin. And I'm talking about the rat today because we just had our big Bark and Wine event at DCHS this week. And it's one of our biggest fundraisers of the year. And of course, as a wildlife program staff person, I got the chance to enjoy talking to so many people who came to support the program. And rats are not usually something I'm thinking about. However, I was the one that got to hold the rats for the night. And yes, we do have a couple of rats. I think they're more on the fancy rat side, not the Norway rat side. They're a domesticated type of rat that, yes, are the ones that you might adopt. We have two classroom animals that are rats called gnocchi and pierogi, and they were so cute. So we got to hang out in our DCHS educational classroom to help draw people in to talk about animals. One of my coworkers got to hold on to a snake, and I got to hold on to the rats. And it made me think a lot about rats in general and how intelligent and smart and crazy fun they are. But then also thinking about the opposite, where it's 
there's not a lot of people who like rats. I guess you have to really be an animal lover to enjoy them. But I think for most people, they think of rats as kind of being gross. So I'd like to maybe take away that fear a little bit in this radio segment, but also make the distinction that there are some rats that are domesticated, that are really friendly and social. And those are the ones that a lot of people do adopt to keep at home and they can make really wonderful pets. Now, the Norway rat is one that is not a native species here and it is invasive. It actually came to Wisconsin in the 1700s. So 1770 is when it arrived in North America and it eventually spread through the U.S. in 1770. It arrived in Wisconsin in Racine in 1853. At least that's what we know documented. It is a species that is actually original to China. So it's not meant to be over here in the U.S., but it really came over because of rats infesting ships and other modes of transportation when people were crossing in the country. And that's how a lot of our invasive species and animals have come over to the U.S. if it's not a species that was found here before. So when shipping industry, of course, was big back in those days before our other modes of transportation that we use now, it definitely spread very easily because it thrives in urban areas. It thrives where people are. And it is a species that can be found in some of the most complex habitats. They can live in garbage dumps. They can live in sewers and open basements. Just anywhere that's an urban area as long as they can find a good food source. So it is on our DNR documents as a topic of invasive species. You can look up what their classification is. You can just Google Norway rat and DNR if you want to see the species guidance. And they do have a lot of damage potential. And the stuff that is described by the DNR as damage potential includes having a lot of natural enemies. So of course, the Norway rat is going to be preyed upon by some of our species like fox and coyote and some snakes and some birds of prey. So of course, good food for them. But they do compete with native species. They are an excellent competitor, according to the DNR, meaning that they will drive out other rat species. So that's very interesting. They have been apparently attributed to the extinction of a lot of other types of mammals, birds, reptiles, and other invertebrate species through their competition for food sources. Not necessarily here in Wisconsin, but they've just been known to do that in other areas. So, you know, it's one of those difficult things because they can disperse seeds as they're running through areas. Areas, and that can also lead to more invasive species spread. When we're talking about plants and vegetation, they also aerate the soil by digging and also running through. So sometimes that has been a problem as well for our plant communities. It's an interesting thing. We know that we have them even in Madison. So if you're a local Madisonian, we know that there has been a large population booms of Norway rats in certain areas, especially downtown as long as they have a way to burrow and make a food storage chamber so that they can nest. And it's one of those things where we as rehabilitators know that they are sometimes considered nuisances. People do call and ask about what to do with them when they have them in their homes or around their homes. And really our advice is to take away the food source, take away any food that they might be able to get access to, open garbage cans, seed for your birds. If you have to take down a bird feeder for a while just to have them leave the area because there's not enough good food for them that can help. Help, but also encouraging other predator species and their populations to be around. Certainly love to see that raptors are increasing in population around areas where there are rats and mice available. They're going to be a great natural predator eating thousands of them every year. So that's one, but then trying to avoid other things 
like poisons, baits, glue traps, all of those make it really challenging for rehabilitators because although we work with and try to conserve animals that are native species, at least at our center, we still want to help people if they find themselves in a situation where that animal is suffering because they ended up in a glue trap and can't get themselves out and they're still alive and struggling. It's the hardest, most emotional thing for us as rehabilitators to have to help in those situations, knowing that we're not going to be able to rehab it either. And then, of course, poisons can cause rodenticide issues. We've had many raptors this year still coming through with rodenticide, which those baits that you use for mice and rats, it goes up the food chain. And so just keep that in mind, help share that information that it's not okay to put out in the environment, even if it's readily available and people can buy it. It does create problems for the rest of the animals that would eat on them because we don't want to cause our beautiful owls and our hawks to bleed internally because of a rodenticide that was meant for a mouse or a rat. So preferably using snap traps or other means of humane euthanasia that would not be adverse to that animal and make it suffer. So that's a little bit about the Norway rat. Came from China. It's about 200 to 500 grams. It's a big, chunky brown rat. All brown. Long tail. They look like a rat. If you imagine a rat in your head, you're probably thinking about Norway rat. So if you do see one, just know that there are control measures out there. Check out the DNR's website about some more information about that. But otherwise, certainly trying to encourage them to not grab onto food sources to breed more in our area since they are present is probably a good idea. Thanks for listening here on WORT. This has been a segment about Norway rats. And if you have any questions about wildlife, give us a call at 608-287-3235. And this has been Wildlife Weekly. We've come nearly to the end of another hour of handcrafted local news here on WORT. Our guests this evening have one last word for this hour, and hopefully some people to thank. What's the news, Jennifer and Sholly? That word is rats. 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 We need more of you to call in. Rats. We're at one donor this hour. Rats. We need three more of you. I think Norway Rats is a great band name. <laughs> That's true. So give us a call at 608-256-2001. I don't know what kind of segue that was. Or go online to wardfm.org and just... Push the yellow little icon button and see what happens. Yeah, It'll tell ask it, you to do things. The great thing about uh, donating, uh, uh, pledging when you call 608-256-2001 or pledging, donating online at wrtfm.org. Either way, you can leave comments for us. And we're running out of time for us to read those comments, including what your favorite fictional band name would be, right? What would your band name be? I know Autopsy Turvy already exists, but I love Autopsy Turvy. <laughs> I know it already exists. But Norway Rats is running a quick second. All right. Way to go, Jackie. Inspiring all. Uh, that's what I love about this new show. Uh, you never quite know what's going to happen. And you're like, oh, wow, they covered that. That's interesting. Um, and that's what I hope we give you here on this show and in all of WORT. News that you didn't know about that you think is interesting, that you can do something with later on, tell your friends about it, use it as creative inspiration, all sorts of things, wonderful things that we, we spark. And quite frankly, if you volunteer yourself, you could be on the radio. Yeah. You could produce something. That, yeah. If there's something out there that interests you and you want to learn how to do it, we're here to help you with that. Yeah. When, you know, we train a lot of folks who then go on to go get professional employment that's in, what i did i know <laughs> and not just in general but in the industry in in radio in journalism um so you know we'd love to have you here as well on the new show volunteering your time but if you can't do that and you want to 
be part of our community, be part of supporting WORT in our nearly 50-year history, then we need your support during this pledge drive during our fall fundraiser, 608-256-2001. That's the number to call. It's our last chance this hour for us to thank you. Uh, We'll be back at it tomorrow, but we would love your support this hour. Show your support for Tuesday. Sarah and Christian do a great job. All our hosts do a great job. and so does Super Dave and all of our engineers. I, Jennifer, how many people would you guess work on the local news show in total, in I, sum? I used to do a daily news show in Chicago. We had six people, the host, an executive producer, and an executive editor. Okay, so, so I'm going to guess for this show, since it's all volunteer, it's daily, I'm going to say you have probably four central people and maybe 12, 13 other people. Oh, each day is about... 12 people yeah you know six to 12 people right so times four right we're talking about like in the 40s or 50s right headline writers script editors feature producers reporters uh engineers co-hosts missing something there but um so that takes a lot right um and then we have a whole roster of subs you know or occasional feature reporters or folks who are working on long-term reports or yeah substitute hosts or substitute engineers so in total i would say like between 60 and 80 and it's always slightly fluctuating right that's a lot of people jonifer just for four hours a week so show your support for all the work that they put in and for everything that you get out of it 608-256-2001 that's the number of call be like jim and become a monthly donor too we'd love to see that or you can do a one-time donation and you can also go online to WORTFM.org. I cut you off. Sorry, and do say it whatever again. the orange button says tells you to do. The orange button. Follow the button. Follow it. Keep those calls coming at 608-256-2001 and web donations at WORTFM.org slash donate. Thanks for supporting the WORT live local news at 6 p.m. Your headline writer was John Klein Wilson. Special thanks to feature contributors Hewan Lim and Gavin Escott at the Daily Cardinal and Jackie Sandberg. A big happy birthday to engineer Dave Lawrenson, who is officially, quote, older than dirt. Faye Parks produces newscast. And Charlie Pittman is the news director at WORT. I'm your host, Sarah Hopeful. Thanks to all of you who called in your pledge of support this hour. You make it happen. And I'm your host, Christian Knutson. Up next is Spanish Language News with Nuestro Patio. Good night.